Hello, everyone, and welcome to Remainders, where we talk about our favorite movies. Today, we're going to be starting part one of our double feature from Fritz Lang, the sci-fi classic Metropolis. My name is Patrick, and with me is the talented artist who always has fantastic new pieces of work behind him, Darren Varel. How are you doing, bud? Doing great, Pat. Happy New Year to you, listeners, and Happy New Year to you, Pat. This is great. Starting off with a wonderful series. I can't wait to dig in. Um, I know it has been a great end of the year for me. Do you want to talk quickly about what your end of the year 2022 was like? No, mine was great, man. I'm just I'm just enjoying uh, a couple of these pictures you got in the back right now, um, especially the, uh, the count right there. That's fantastic. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of starting the show. You know, I get to see uh, uh, firsthand all the new pieces of work, which have uh, been plentiful this year. So, yeah, but, if you're listening um, on the podcast and can't see it visually, that's we true. Add, be- <laughs> yeah, we, we but it's but we do add these videos to yeah, yeah. YouTube page, um, and they're also on our website, remainderspod.com. So, if you're wondering what we're talking about, sometimes what we see visually, you can always see it and go back and take a look on our website. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, yeah. Talking about YouTube, our YouTube listener, uh, watchers right now. But yeah, they always get to see these. Everybody else on Spotify, come check out the videos or check out Darren's site, man. You've got a lot of good pieces on there. Um, yeah. How have things been? Uh, my new year was good. It was pretty chill. I was, uh, I was, so I was going to shave this beard, at least trim it down. But then we hit negative 40, like right before Christmas here in Chicago. So uh, all shaving plans kind of went out. So I'm definitely keeping the beard going for at least another couple of weeks uh, to keep my warmth going. It's getting basically to Kratos uh, from God of War length uh, uh, shape now. So definitely uh, digging the vibe. And uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because this is now starting season four of remainders which is crazy right i mean see four seasons uh that means four years of this podcast uh or maybe or is it three <laughs> i think maybe it's three uh, we are in the time suck of covid so three yeah, or four totally. are both valid so that's when this started so i think that that would make sense that it's been three years but anyhow um now that we're starting a new year we kind of call them by seasons right so this would be season three i believe um or maybe four but we'll figure that out at the end uh when i put these together and upload it um, but it is episode 31, and I wanted to just say a lot of our first ones were not recorded, and you couldn't see us visually. But your beard was significantly smaller than it is now. And at some point, maybe in this season, the crowd out there may see it shorter than it is has ever been, um, because I don't think anybody's ever seen you without a mammoth beard. Uh, it's happened before. I mean, the last time I was fully shaved was not crazy it was definitely during COVID so I know that uh so it it hasn't been like too long but yeah it's definitely been uh my um I mean there was a while where you weren't even able to get haircuts for a while so I feel like that's kind of like what started uh it it going and um yeah it's definitely been you gotta love the the dedication here of Pat you know keeping it going since the 2020 lockdown, <laughs> not bad. It's keeping it going, but I mean, there is a certain laziness that comes with having a beard. It's because I don't want to fucking have to take care of it. I let my barber uh, do his magic uh, every couple months, and that's about it. So, well, speaking of the weather out there, I understand why you'd want to keep that for those negative temperatures. And I've heard it's bad. All my family's in Chicago, as you know, but here in LA, we haven't had. If this is the first day the sun's been out. Um, actually, while, right now while we're recording it, the sun's been out. But for the last week, it's been rainy, really cold, really dark, really dreary. And uh, it really made 
made me like not want to do anything. So I, but you know, I still remember that I have it better than you guys do in Chicago. And I remember like when you're in Chicago, you definitely have like four months at, I'd say the start of December, uh, all the way into like March where you just, there's nothing. There's just, you just feel no kind of excitement about anything. You just want to go to sleep and, you know, take a shower, all the, a warm shower all the time. Uh, it's good days to go to the movie theater. Uh, That's true. Know, appropriate for our talk, which I definitely got to a couple times over our break. Uh, which so what, I, have you been, what have you been um, Yeah, I mean, both of them are completely applicable to our movie today, Metropolis from 1927, which is basically the first full-length uh, sci-fi movie ever made. Um, but based, you know, so um, Damien Chazelle made Whiplash, was, which was legit one of my favorite movies along with like fury road and phantom thread of like that decade um and babylon wasn't really on my radar i didn't really know um much about it looking forward you know i mean to be honest i really don't like read up on like what's coming out forward i just kind of like enjoy like what's uh coming out now and then kind of work my way back i don't pay attention to too much like movie news like of what's coming up um, and so that one kind of, I feel like you talking about it was one of the first times I was hearing about it. Um, but I ended up seeing it and man, that movie blew me away. That was, um, not quite what I expected and it was substantially better than, uh, all, all my hopes were. And, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's, uh, basically the story of silent filmmaking in the Hollywood area, uh, with Brad Pitt. And, um, it was absolutely fantastic. It just definitely blew me away. Margot Robbie's incredible in it. Um, have you seen it yet? I have not seen it. And okay. um, yeah, I feel bad because I was watching. So I've read Hollywood. But I've, I don't know anything about Babylon itself other than like what I was hearing about it. Um, I think I told you at one point, my girlfriend was like an extra in the film. And so like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's when I first heard about the film that it was like, Brad, like great cast, right? Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, all those, all these people. Um and you're like, this is going to be the blockbuster of the year. And she was, you know, in these really cool scenes, got to be in like a scene with Brad Pitt and like- Oh, you know, for real? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. hearing these ama um, amazing stories that she would tell me kind of at the time, which was, I don't know, a year ago now or whatever. Um, and, you know, it's all under a cloud of secrecy. They like, when they go on to these um, shoots, they don't ever like tell you the real name of the movie. So you kind of don't yeah. know what you're getting into, but then like they dressed her up in like all these like thirties outfits and it was in a theater and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing it, to see if I can pick her out. When they released the first image of it, it was like Brad Pitt and in the background was like her laughing. And it was like, <laughs> it was like amazing. It was the first image that they released from it. And it was like- Oh, her. that's awesome. I love it. Totally cool. Um, yeah, she did that. And then she had like an experience with Oppenheimer. And I thought like her like idea of the two different directors, you know, one being Christopher Nolan and one being Damien Chazelle were completely different. And I loved hearing that like inside scoop. So anyway, I knew about Babylon that like from that lens. And um, then I kind of didn't really want to know too much about the story because it, you know, seemed to be um, a little bit uh, aloof when it was, you know, first being um, the trailers came out and stuff like that. Nobody really knew what it was about. Yeah. Um, and I love Damon Giselle. I love all of his films. Whiplash, of course, is probably one of the stars. But then La La Land, of course, I love. Um, so I was really excited about it. And I was very surprised to see that it bombed at the box office the first week. Um, I don't know how it's done since. I haven't really checked up on it. But I had heard mixed opinions from people that I really 
uh, respect too. So you told me that you thought it was awesome. I think your text to me was Babylon slaps. <laughs> I know if you say that, that means that you liked it. That was legit me walking out of the theater for sure. So okay, that. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And then um, my friend Tom, who I respect his opinion, said he he didn't really like it, and he loves Damon. It's like La La Land was probably one of his favorite films of all time. Like oh wow, yeah. I was really surprised. Um, but then I wanted to say like. I've read the book, Hollywood Babylon, Kenneth Anger's book about sort of like the first exposure of Hollywood, you know, behaving poorly, behaving badly. Um, and then, you know, there's a great podcast by Karina Longworth called You Must Remember This That I Love. And she had like a whole a series about that book. Um, and then also Metropolis now I'm kind of seeing like, oh, Babylon's part of the story. So it's interesting. I wish I had seen Babylon before we're recording this. I will see it. I just haven't had any time with the holidays and stuff, but I'm glad one of us has because it, it seems like all of those things I just mentioned somehow harken back to why Damon Giselle made the movie Babylon. Yeah, I mean, the movie itself is very messy. So yeah, like I, I definitely know like it was pretty divisive amongst critics and I'm sure um, regular moviegoers too. Well, not too many of the moviegoers that actually went to go see it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it definitely is a messy movie and it, it, it feels uh, very uneven on parts, but like the messiness definitely all worked for me. Like, How do you mean messy? Just like not really put together story-wise or? Well, it's, I mean, it's long as shit. It's about, it's as long as Avatar. So it's like pushing uh, three, like three hours and 15 minutes. Um, so it's definitely got its in-depth, uh, um, See, I mean, the, the title credit is like 30 minutes in, uh, which which I always love when a movie does that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it definitely uh, follows a lot of different um, trajectories and, and stories and characters in a way that, you know, maybe sometimes feels disjointed when you're watching it. Like I said, it all worked for me, for sure. Um, and And I think there are some like really in-depth um, uh, scenes that like, just like show the filmmaking process that um, uh, definitely stood out the most for me that were absolutely hilarious. I mean, there, this has like a pretty, so uh, to give a little insight, we're definitely gonna be covering a little bit of Scorsese uh, coming up this year, uh, this season uh, with his uh, very specific editing style. And this movie definitely takes a lot uh, from that vibe. It definitely has, a pretty uh, Wolf of Wall Street vibe to it. Uh, Margot Robbie's in it. Uh, the guy who played Rugrat uh, in Wolf of Wall Street, he was their accountant in, in their group. He plays like an assistant director in this. And in the first half, he's got a pretty prominent role. Fucking hilarious, because he just captures the tone of like this coked up assistant director trying to keep everybody in order, which was just basically like this circus of filmmaking at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was just kind of really taken aback by how much I enjoyed it. Uh, but like I said, like it is messy. So I could definitely see how like it tried a lot of people's patience, but uh, definitely worked for me. Um, and there is so going into my next segment, um, I watched Avatar again. And this is going to be this is basically going to be a segment of the show where I talk about Avatar and Darren rolls his eyes. Um, we're just going <laughs> to keep that going. Um, Avatar, the new Avatar, I watched it again. Fucking great. Substantially. So you it twice? What's up? Have you seen it twice now? Yeah, I went, I've seen it twice now. Wow. It's fantastic. Um, James Cameron, obviously, no surprise, 
made a great sequel. Um, he's definitely done that in the past. And um, uh, I think I mentioned in the past, like I, I wasn't like all in on Avatar. I was all in on Cameron. With this like new movie, I'm definitely all in on Avatar because uh, of, of the world he's trying to create. Uh, he's going to have it his way. That movie's making like $2 billion. So he's going to get his four sequels that he wants. And so this is obviously the beginning of that. And it definitely sets up a lot of threads that uh, I think are going to be uh, pretty great. One with, and this isn't giving anything away, with Scorny Weaver basically being the Jesus Christ uh, character of the story. So, mm, wow. Yeah. This, yeah. Uh, you know, I have to say that, yeah, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I don't really love Avatar and I kind of don't understand it. But I have to a say, a lot of people do. Yeah. Well, I only seen it one time and I saw it in the theaters, but it sounds like it has a lot of like um, depth to the story that I maybe missed the first time by just like, you know, all of the technological advances, which sometimes that overshadows. A movie and what they're trying to communicate and maybe that's what it did to me at that point because I also have a friend out here who's a director that I've worked with before and he is like a gigantic James Cameron fan just like you are and he's like all in on Avatar he's just I can't believe that I wouldn't like it um he's somebody I respect and that likes film and you as well. So like, I'm going back. I already talked to my girlfriend about it. Like we have to watch Avatar. We have to like see what we're missing. And then I, mean, I have to go see Avatar too while it's in the theaters. I, I just have to, you know? A lot of it, I mean, to be clear, a lot of it is spectacle. He is a big budget blockbuster filmmaker. So if you're, if, I mean, you're not going to find a type of nuance that is in uh, a lot of the movies that we love, but uh, you know, I'm all for both. Um, he's a broad storyteller, but he's a broad storyteller that uh, employs technical achievement like nobody else. And he's just done that, you know, his entire fucking career. And it's clear, like with this one, to me, at least with the second one, because this is, this is going to be the end of his career with movies. Like he's, he was almost out on movies even before going into Avatar. So he's definitely dedicated the rest of his filmmaking career to avatar. So there's not really going to be anything else other than that from movies from him at least. And, and so that's, I mean, just as a, as a an achievement alone in that with his career, it definitely blows me away, but there was, um, so that's my pro avatar uh, stance right now, but the, I, I got onto that because there was, this isn't giving anything away. There's a montage at the end of Babylon where it's like basically a tribute to film. And if you've seen it, it's a little it's a little weird looking it feels a little out of place it almost feels like a tribute to movies that you would see at like that uh on the oscars or something hmm. uh, where it's like a whole diverse uh set of like short clips of film like from you know from the 20s all the way to now and they show like near the end of it a clip from like terminator 2 and they even like show a clip uh from avatar in that near the end because it's obviously the most recent and it just definitely made a, a, a thread throughout, like from the silent film era to a, including the science fiction spectacle of Metropolis, all the way up to like the science fiction spectacle of Avatar. So I thought that was like such a perfect uh, capper to the couple movies that I was able to go wow. see over the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had, <clears throat> had no idea about that. Sounds like, you know, like, um... Uh, Purple Rose of Cairo for like Woody Allen was like a tribute to movies, right? Like a lot of directors will do that. We spoke about it last week uh, or whenever we filmed our last um, podcast, we talked about the Fablemans, which is like another tribute to the movies, right? Sounds like that's a bit of a, of a theme going on right now, which uh, I like, I love that. I, and everybody did it in their own 
like fun way. I don't know if you've ever seen Purple Rose of Cairo, but it's one of my favorite Woody Allen films. And just like that film in general, it's kind of like the thing that can always take you out of like a bad situation or take you out of your life and remind you that like there's good things in the world that, you know, um, you can escape uh, through the movies. And that's kind of the, the way it is with music as well. Of course, you know, anything in the arts, um, it's really a beautiful thing. I, I like that. Uh, speaking of great films, if you don't mind me doing my segue of to a film I saw, and I don't know if you had uh, seen this, and not to spend too much time because I think, you know, again, Metropolis that we're going to talk about today is such a great movie to speak of while talking about Babylon because it, it, it has, you know, um, a lot of things that parallel as far as the, the silent film era, you know, expressionist uh, films and things like that. But I would say that um, a movie that's totally different than any of the films we're talking about is The Whale, which I saw at the Chinese theater over here over um, the break, which I absolutely loved. Um, Darren Aronofsky's a guy that's kind of like hit or miss. It's almost hit or miss. It's not like in the middle for me. Like I didn't like Mother. Um, I know a lot of people love Mother. But it's, you did not, you did not like Mother? No, well, I mean, I can't say that I didn't like the movie. I mean, you have to, re you have to like what he did, you know, but I just, I couldn't really get on board with watching a film for entertainment like that. Um, it's a little, a little much, um, especially the baby eating scenes and stuff like that towards the end. But um, I will say that like the movies that do hit for him hit really hard and really well. Um, the Wrestler is one that we watched uh, after seeing The Whale. So my girlfriend's like, you gotta go see The Whale with me. I've seen it already, but I really wanna see it with you. So we did go see it together. And I'm like, before I even saw it, I'm like, I bet you this is Aronofsky's sort of tale of like the person who can't get out of his own way, right? And it's sort of the way that the wrestler is and that was obviously a huge hit for Darren Aronofsky and I love Black Swan I'm not like a huge fan of like Pie or like Requiem for a Dream and things like that but there are those movies again the wrestler and the whale that are just complete slam dunks complete home runs for me and I love the whale a lot Brendan Fraser gets all the credit that he deserves for that film um hell yeah yeah I, no I, I have not it, I have not seen it um it's uh uh, it, which shocks me actually um uh because it's definitely been at the top of my list aronofsky uh i like him quite a bit the wrestler is by far my favorite movie of his i've watched that uh um plenty of times because i love just what it kind of represents the the type of character study i think i mentioned i was talking about the writer of that movie um uh robert siegel um he was on a podcast recently just talking about that but he had uh, written that film and uh, I, I absolutely love the wrestler. So, and and Brendan Fraser is obviously somebody that I grew up with with plenty of ad admiration. Um, and so, I'm definitely very happy to see his kind of big comeback. And and it definitely is um, like I said, I haven't seen it, but it's definitely sounding like he's going to get uh, Oscar nomination for it. So, I mean, how about it? Like a Tarantino, and then also an Aronofsky. They just like have a way of reviving actors' oh, yeah. careers that we love. We just don't you know, nobody gave them another chance uh, in their later careers. Both of those directors have done that and done that very well. So you watched it, uh, it's like a double feature with uh, The Wrestler, you said? Kind of, yeah. So um, my girlfriend had never seen The Wrestler. And, and when I told mm. her about it, she she was like, well, let's watch The Wrestler because I'd like to, you know, um, nice. see another thing like The Whale because she loved The Whale so much. And then she, and she just loved The Wrestler. I mean, she was just like blown away. And I yeah. hadn't seen it um 
in a while. Both movies, I would just say this and that, um, giving anything away, but they do end and sort of like let the viewer decide kind of like yeah. where the short sure. goes after that. And I, and I always love that too. You know, it's like, it's not giving you necessarily like um, a final ribbon on it. You know, like this is what happens. It's kind of like, well, you, you can kind of decide. And it's more about, like you said, like the journey of the, of the movie and the process of like learning about these characters than anything else. It takes place in like kind of one location the entire time. Um, and it's like when movies do that, Kind of like rope you know um hitchcock's rope it's like to get the audience to be engaged through that story you, you, that's one hell of a feat to do um and the whale certainly delivers that way i'm just thinking like i yeah i didn't realize it was um was were there like a lot of continuous shots when you said it was kind of set in one location or just kind of kind of feels like it's kind of set at his home at his home, I'm assuming. Uh yeah, I mean there's like maybe one or two like shots like outside of his home, but that's it. Like okay. Yeah. It's really awesome. I can yeah, I can imagine that working really well for it. That's awesome. Yeah, totally. Um yeah, I haven't seen rope in a long time. It's definitely a good one to revisit. Uh, staying with Aronofsky, the only I think the only movie I haven't seen is is uh, and I've always been wanting to check it out is uh, Noah. I haven't uh, seen it. No, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Obviously, a classic tale. Uh, it double, feels yeah. like uh, the outlier, just in terms of um, the type of movie, but and the story, but maybe not. But yeah, that's the only one that I've never really seen. I've always been pretty interested. I've always heard like pretty good things about it like people like people a lot of people had low expectations for it when it came out and probably still do but then every time i hear somebody talk about it they say they're pretty positive on it aronofsky has a way of really talking about religion and kind of going for the jugular with it um in some of his films so uh yeah, he's yeah. um and then speaking of mother i remember mother got the coveted like zero percent uh <laughs> audience score audience yeah. score which yeah. is which is it's it's coveted because that means that you uh, did something special to make uh, that many people of the general audience going. But public. the critics loved it, right? Uh, I think it was kind of split. I, th but yeah, in general, it's usually something where it's like a lot of people, a lot of critics would recommend it, and then it gets like a coveted zero percent from user score. They're like, yeah, the general public doesn't like my movie, which is a good thing. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, too, you see, like, a lot of these, like, even with Metropolis, you know, like, when they open, a lot of people are up in arms about it, and they don't really love it, but then, of Terrible course, reviews. Yeah, bad reviews when it came out. Stands the test of time, then, eventually, you know, you kind of have to just, like, wait and see, and I will say, um, based on that, you know, um, uh, gosh, I forget my thought now, um, I had to do with Aronofsky, oh, well, we'll come back to it, but, yeah, like, when you open a film, and it doesn't do well, you know just wait so let's see how let's see what time thinks of it i mean good art stands the test of time there's that's cliche for a reason i feel like people say that so because it's definitely true so so should we get into discussing our main um film today metropolis i i believe this is going to be as you said at the at the start a series right so it's a fritz lang series well, we're going to do a double feature. We're going to do, uh, we're doing Metropolis today, which man, this movie is bonkers. Uh, so I'm happy we got a chance to see it. Uh, I've seen clips before, but I've actually never watched uh, the entire wow, movie. Really? In, in, I've seen plenty of like clips uh, over the years and definitely watched part of it, but I definitely never sat down and watched the whole movie. Uh, and especially not the, the two and a half hour restored version, which I feel, which I think I read, it was only in like 2008, 
that uh, that full version was like found. Is that does yeah. that sound familiar? Yeah, and that's why kind of like a lot of times they have to have explainer uh, shots for different things when you're watching the yeah. film. Also, yeah. you can totally tell the one that is found footage because it's the it's right. really grainy, a lot and, more grainy. Yeah, and it doesn't uh, do the full frame. Um, because it was found on 16 millimeter, I believe it, 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 it opens up, the film opens up letting you know about the restoration. If you're watching it on Criterion channel, you can um, learn a little bit more about it and everything like that. But yeah, this, this film is, is regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. And if you've watched any clip shows about, you know, the movies you need to see, this is always in there. You've always seen the robot and what the robot looks like. It's also heavily regarded as one of the best science fiction films of all time. So it hits all the great marks, right? Science fiction, early science fiction, um, German expressionist film, um, just beautiful art decoration for all the scenes. I mean, this was a very expensive film to make. Um, and then it's got this great story of like the hierarchy, you know, the uh, the rich versus the poor, you know, and, and, and can they meet? And then the great beginning um, idea, and just to have the great, the great theme, showcased at the very beginning of the film and you know exactly what you're getting into right like the mediator between the head and the hands must be the heart and i've always loved that saying right like okay like people can think and they can do whatever they want people can do a lot with their hands they can work they can think but what's in between that and it's the heart it's the heart of a human being it's the empathy it's all the things that we talk about on this podcast that connect these two things you know without that um it's just really chaos and what ensues um in this film, but also what a cautionary tale that still happens to this day. This film's from the 20s, and you're still talking about all of these themes all the way to 2023, which is when we're talking about this film. Yeah, that, I mean, that was very eloquently put. Uh, I, I think that the, the things that uh, make it stand the test of time is, as you said, the story and the spectacle. Like, I mean, the images in this movie are fucking great i mean this is 1927 and the images of like the city uh the uh machine in, in the factories uh the choreo choreography like of the workers working the machines and then the actual machine man themselves it it, it has a look that like it, it's it's really crazy that you can look at this i mean we're pushing 100 years old on it now and it still looks like this wonderful piece of art when movies were like still in its infancy like they didn't even know like what they were doing half the time especially in a sci-fi movie like i said it's i think i saw this was like the first like feature length um sci-fi movie everything else before that before this uh was like short movies so but yeah so like the visuals and like you said the story which uh, well i'll get into it in later in just terms of like how genius uh, the execution of the story is but um um what's your uh like when did you first uh, kind of get into this movie or first see it so same thing with you you know always heard about this film for so long um, okay definitely over 10 years ago i first saw it um oh, you did okay nice. and blown yeah. but you know we've talked about it before when we cover like silent films i think that like i can get into that a little bit more or at least i was like more excited about going in to watch a silent movie or something from the 50s or something like older film to me has always been something that i kind of uh, gravitate towards more than like kind of newer films that are made and so um, that maybe doesn't surprise me that this is the first time of you watching it all the way through just judging by what we've talked about in the films that we like um, yeah. but I don't doubt that it was always on your list of like I got to see Metropolis someday and um, when I saw it over 10 years ago it blown away by all of the things that we talked about the themes um, just like the look of it you know you never see anything like that and 
we talk about silent film a lot. Um, and we talk about people's expressions, right? And that and that has to do a lot. And one of my main things that stuck out to me then as in now is the way that the actors, uh, you know, I don't know if it had to do something with the fact that they're German, you know, if it had to do the fact that it was just a time period and you had to kind of overact and overexpress yourself during these times um, to get the message across. But man, the, the woman who plays Maria, who is one of the main characters, but she's got a dual role as um, she becomes sort of the um, machine that they're building in the likeness of the um, woman who has since passed that was uh, kind of a tragic love uh, story between the creator of the world um, and the inventor. And so this woman, Marie, is kind of there to provide hope, right? She, she's this kind of angelic character, but they eventually, as we see, use her ideals and her innocence against the workers. And again, you're, you'll talk about the, I'm sure you'll talk about the story a little bit more, but the Marie, she has two double, played by Bridget Helm is her name. Um, maybe Brigitte, I don't know. Brigitte, yeah, definitely. Did if it isn't, it sounds cooler, so we're going with that. <laughs> right, Brigitte. Uh, but she is amazing. She has to play this like innocence. And when we first see her, she's with all of the sort of uh, children of the workers to kind of see how the other half lives. And she's the shepherd of the children, right? To talk in biblical terms. Um, and again, she sort of is like the hope for everybody. Um, and then when she transforms into the machine and kind of has to be like this diabolical machine, she has this like thing she does with her eye that's like cocky, you know, and, and she's just like, she does these like movements like this and she is fucking awesome. And then she does this like whole like sexual dance where like the, you know, all the people are like enamored and man, that scene is insane too. Like to get like how people are easily swayed by like sex and different things and like, um this this there's this film has everything it tells the story of so much i love it i mean i have it right here in my notes uh brigitte helm crazy good performance uh, <laughs> i no, it was her well like, said well said yeah by the end of the movie it was definitely me watching her uh it was one of the most enjoyable parts uh because like you said the dual roles and the two like two it's not just like two regular people she's playing she's playing a basically a um almost like a goddess type figure so like you said she gives kind of these sermons uh to the to the lowly workers who are being uh ruled by the uh rich billionaires up above uh, all these workers in the factory um toiling away literally like pushing the clock uh as a way to like get through their day um, and so she gives these sermons to speak of the mediator, as you mentioned, the mediator being between the uh, hand and the, um, the hand, the head and the hands, and that being the heart. Um, and so her role, like as that kind of like soft figure, uh, giving inspiration to these workers. And then when you, as you mentioned, she gets basically turned into this. Um, I didn't fully understand. They basically cloned her, right? Uh, yeah, so really what they're doing is the inventor, to, to tell that story of um, the transformation, yeah. there's an inventor, and then there's the um, person who built the city, and they sort of need each other. They, they work off of each other, and they help each other, but the, the issue and the, 
I guess the challenge between the two men is that they shared a love of a woman named Hel Helen, I believe her name was. Um, they kind of use the word H-E-L and they don't like spell it out um, when you see it okay. on the title cards. So this is something that maybe you missed uh, on the first watch. I can, there's a lot to take. Yeah, in. I didn't, I definitely didn't pick up on the, the um, them trying to create uh, a past love uh, of them. And that's why this movie has it all, because yeah. the the person who created the Metropolis and who's, you know, basically Fr like, say, the president, president, yeah, yeah. he had a son with this woman who died. But the inventor who invented this machine and invented the machine to as a replacement for her, because they both lost something. They both were in love with this woman, but the inventor lost her. And then the um, president of the city, Frederickson, Frederickson uh, had a son with her, but she had passed away. I believe it was in childbirth. So that both men are deeply troubled by the fact that they lost her. And so the inventor decides to make a person in her likeness, and that's this machine. And so that I, I believe if you're saying you, you may have missed that. Okay, no, I mean, I def I just didn't realize it was really just the intention. I didn't realize that was the intention of 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 creating that uh, of the machine man that ended up being a clone of Maria. But the um, other part of it is that the inventor is angry that he lost this woman to right, yeah. like, the president of you know the metropolis and the creator of the metropolis. So to get back at him, he keeps on telling him he's going to use this. Um, machine and even Frederson says, I'm sorry, it's Frederson, right? I just want to get that right. Yeah, Frederson. Frederson is like, well, let's make this machine tell the workers that they need to double down and, you know, continue on and do their thing. Um, but to like create havoc because he's pissed that he lost this woman um, to Frederson, the inventor decides to backstab him and tell the um, robot no, 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 you're going to tell these uh, these workers to rise up against them and create all this chaos because obviously the head and the hands need each other, which is something they don't realize, right? The people who are at the top don't realize that they need the workers to get it done, but they seem to be able to influence them with money or power or whatever. And these people think, well, we're, we're under that thumb. We're never gonna get out from under it. So we better just do what we're told otherwise poverty comes upon us, you know, death, um, you know, terrible things that we don't just comply. But eventually, if you're under enough scrutiny and you're under enough manipulation for long enough, you rise up. And so the issue here is now that they've got Hel Helen's um, likeness being put together through this girl, Marie, um, who Frederson's son fell in love with, and she's this angelic character, and all of the workers love her, if they can trade her look and her likeness for the, the robots, this robot can go down to the workers and influence them because they've already got the built-in likeness of Marie, who everybody loves. And again, the inventor is saying to Frederson, yeah, don't worry, we're going to have her go down and tell all the workers to keep going and keep charge. But instead, he double crosses them and tells them, "No, tell the workers to rise up." Yeah, there was. I definitely missed part of the intention uh, because when they when they started sending, because at one point, Frederson, um, the owner, um, 
president, whatever you want to call him, he, he, he agrees to it. Uh, he agrees to uh, having um, the clone Murray, uh, the machine man, uh, have the workers revolt. And I was a little kind of thrown off by that because that's bad for business. The last thing you want uh, is your workers not being uh, pacified. So, um, so okay, that makes a lot more sense to me. I mean, um, I mean, I love the component of like his. So his son, Freder, Freder Frederson, which is a great name. He, I mean, he's the one who discovers all the chaos in the factory, in his father's factory, and all the way that the workers are being basically being fed to the grinding mouth uh, to, to feed uh, the machines and keep all the work going for the rich people above. And so like his character is pretty interesting to me is it's not really practical that the, that the, you know, that the president's son, the boss's son is going to be uh, the one uh, sacrificing himself for it and putting himself in that position. But I and love it, that. That's but it I definitely, mean. I mean, it definitely works for it. It was just, uh, it definitely works for the story itself. And um, right. He has more empathy than like his father who has like none. Right. And that's the thing is like his father is the businessman who realizes to be in business, you need to like get these workers to continue to work, to, to invoke fear in them at times and different things like that. But his son is just like, you know, really out there saying this is not right. I, I can't watch. They're my brothers. He calls them his brothers. You know, I can't watch yeah. my brothers. Um, they're all like collapsing from how hard they're working. And he decides to take it on himself to be the one to, to do like he does the switcheroo and he becomes the worker and kind of gets to walk a mile in their shoes. And yeah, like it's an unlikely person because he could possibly have all of this kingdom to himself. But instead, his heart is the one who uh, is, is really leading his charge of why he wants to connect and understand the workers better. Yeah, he definitely had a pretty sweet setup uh, at the beginning. They're at like the Eternal Garden and he's basically getting his choice of all the women for sale uh, at the time. So it's right. like, he's definitely in a position where he could just kick back and hang out with all the women and uh, have them feed him grapes at the time. So I guess that's not what you would do in modern times. But. I mean, this film was, was before the Hayes Code, which, you know, would be restricting audiences from seeing certain things. And if you think about it, there's a lot of like, kind of like sexual um, scenes almost showing okay yeah so like i was saying so the the original maria she gives the sermons um talking about the mediator to calm the workers uh she gets clones clone maria um and so her sermon is basically that striptease which is the fucking wildest striptease i've ever seen um yeah. <laughs> i mean it's in the 20s you know yeah i mean it's it's wild if you saw somebody doing it today but like it it, it looked uh insane i mean it, and like i said the performance of brigitte uh, helm is incredible like for her to pull off both of those roles and then do the physicality of the clone maria was insane i loved watching it because it was incredible oh yeah and i mean that's what i'm saying like because i don't think the hayes code would have allowed for hollywood to be you know seeing again yeah. this, is a, this is a german film but at the same time like if it was going to be seen in the states um you know it wouldn't have been able to seen that way it probably would have been even more heavily edited than it was i think it was edited and those scenes were taken out uh in the beginning uh just purely for for time uh back in the day but you know if this film fritz lang ended up having a really you know decent career in hollywood after this um but this is him making his films in in germany uh early on like i said before the hayes code when you know you'd be restricted and you couldn't show a lot of nudity couldn't you know talk about sex and things like that um 
because this is that's such a big part of the story when she does this dance and again she's really animated and she's like almost <laughs> half naked um yeah. that's kind of uh, mirroring right like a story of babylon right like right where like a goddess kind of can come and like um influence a bunch of people based on the sexuality of uh, but you know as we know that's never a good thing to be involved with because all of a sudden terrible things start happening to you but you know you get roped in like what what are humans uh interested in right greed money sex they even talk about the seven deadly sins at some point don't they that's seven so there's a brief uh segment where they show the seven deadly sins but then like after shit starts hitting the fan and the uh workers start to like actually go and destroy the machines uh it shows the seven seven deadly sins actually coming out and there's like a skeleton with a sword leading it and it looks straight out of evil dead from sam raimi awesome right it just it's, so it's awesome. like it's not a super long uh segment it's like maybe uh 10 seconds overall but like it looks so much like evil dead uh in terms of like just the 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 aesthetics and like the movement of the skeleton itself i was like there's no way that he did not get some influence from this scene for evil for dead. sure that's a good that's a good point you know because a lot of it too like there's a lot of like um double exposures and things like that like a lot of good amazing early film tricks in this film i mean if you're like a student of film watching this uh i can't imagine that you don't like even now like a lot of those scenes when like things like kind of disappear and appear you're like how do they do that you know like you still don't you, it's it's the magic of film right yeah i mean a lot of the the the, the uh tricks were uh, primitive at the uh, like now they seem like but at the same time it's like they almost seem like more uh innovative than a lot of stuff now it's like now you're just like that's just a cgi character that a computer put in right. to the screen whereas like stuff before i had actually had to play tricks with the physical film sometimes and yeah i definitely agree with you there um i mean like i was saying like seeing this movie uh as a spectacle and this will be the last time i talk about it but to see like um avatar like a hundred years later uh to see where um sci-fi and um especially the aesthetics of sci-fi and special effects have gone i just thought it added so much to it um yeah like i mean again like brigitte helm like her performance is definitely one of my favorite parts of watching this movie so yeah and i i think that you know when we go into like talking about a movie that encompasses it all, right? There's like a love story between the two that I was talking about. That's, that's how I understood that scene is that, you know, the inventor really, really wanted to kind of get back at the person who's the president, uh, Frederick, uh, Frederick, yeah. And it really wanted to get back at him because he got what he wanted. He got this mm. one and, and he's, he's like the mad scientist, right? He's like the mad inventor because he's like, he lost a hand and all this stuff because he's so dedicated. The storytelling is so great because he's so dedicated to making this, um, this robot who's going to be in her likeness. It even says in like, give me 24 hours and we'll, and she'll be back. We'll have her, you know? Um, because when you first get introduced to the character, it is just a robot. It's not, flesh and blood looking but that's when they use maria uh, marie maria um to be the likeness of and they do some sort of like science experiment which is so great you know with like all of the uh pulsating vibes and things going and then this transformation happens where all of a sudden the robot is flesh and blood although as we just talked about like has these ticks and stuff that you could still tell it's a robot you know yeah um, but all done so that it could influence the story of how they're going to now have 
these um, workers revolt. Because again, I think what is happening through a lot of stories of this feudal system is that people don't realize that they need each other. And they need to come, you know, they need to come and meet each other halfway. And really that's what Frederson's son is trying to do. Um, he's like, you know, there's, there, these people can't just be looked at as nothing. They need to have rights and, you know, talk about like uh, equal rights for women in the workforce. I and mean, these things are topics that we're still talking about and that are still not being taken care of in 2023. And that's why this story is such a good thing for people to see uh, because it's age old and it seems to it seems to be ongoing. Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely think part of the genius of this movie um, and the uh, incredible part of it is that it still works like 100 years later is that uh, it can be read in a lot of different ways uh, in terms of um, the way the social structure works. I mean, you could definitely read this as a socialist, as a Marxist, or as like a capitalist. I believe it was in its day. Yeah, exactly. And then the fact that it still kind of works that way, the fact that it it, it, it is able to transcend all those and it, it really allows the viewer to kind of read it how they want to read it um, is definitely the biggest uh, trick of the movie. Uh, that I think works the best about it. I mean, there's, I love so much that you can read it in, in those three different ways and it works perfectly. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good point, you know, because again, it, it, I think it was uh, flagged for that, um, <laughs> that it might've been like pro-communist. Um, I don't really feel that way. I just feel like it's like, again, talking about the heart, the empathy about it. I think the yeah. stories are about like giving a shit about people and, you know, look at all these things we do to each other. And in the end, everyone just kind of wants to be understood. Everybody wants to have some health and happiness in their life. And there's really like, when you're up high and you're this person that controls everything, there's this idea that you have to continue to like keep people down, you know, so that they'll comply and that they'll work hard. And um, eventually people get sick of that shit. And they're going to say, fuck you. And they're going to want to kick your fucking ass. And that's what happens. You know, like it, that's, I always love that shit when like the levy finally breaks, you know, there's like people in business, man, I'll tell you, they'd be like, yeah, but there, there's more work to come or they'll dangle that carrot. So you just continue to hop along, you know, you're like, I need the money, but I hear like later on, there's going to be some more work for me. So I'll deal with this bullshit. It's like, fuck that, you know, like, you got to try to see what people are doing to you. There's a lot of manipulation in business and things like that. And like, again, this story is age old and it still happens now. It's like, it's good to see these films so that you can kind of like step back and say, whoa, yeah, that's kind of like how it is. You know, when you're at the top, you can't really sympathize or empathize with anybody at the bottom. And when you're at the bottom, you feel like there's no way out. Perfect way to put it, man. Oh, we need you as a spoke, <laughs> spokesperson more often. I love it. Uh, can we talk about the score, man? Whoever did the score, total John, John Williams vibe uh, throughout the whole movie. Uh, I fucking loved it. It was incredible. Totally. You know, there's something I don't, don't know, and I was thinking about this, and I, I guess I should have researched it. Maybe somebody out there knows. Um, was this an original score, like, or was this, like, recomposed? I don't, I don't really know. I... Well, so I watched it on the Criterion channel, uh, your Criterion channel, nice. to, <laughs> to give, to give uh, uh, our listeners a little insider. Um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I'm assuming it is, um, 
Yeah, that's a good question. I'm assuming it's yeah, the original I, score that was maybe recomposed because it sounded really good. It didn't. It didn't. It certainly didn't sound like that's what I mean. It at didn't all. Sound so dated. Yeah. Maybe it was a, a, um, a re-recorded version of the original that was maybe transferred over because, like this, like we said, we watched the two and a half hour version, which would really didn't exist before 2008. And so it obviously had to, they had, they had to do something for the score to pull it for the full two and a half hours. Well, you know, that that's the, that's the thing is like you and I are, um, we, you know, you try, we try to get as much knowledge about this as we can. That's why um, if you, the listener knows, I would love to know, you know, is this, um, we can obviously Google it after we're done with this session, but like, let us know, you know, uh, the other thing that I love about sometimes scores um, when there are lost, or maybe that somebody wants to have a different take on it. For instance, Dracula, like the Philip Glass version, that score to me is more like creepy and haunting than any score I've ever heard. And I love that score and I prefer it to the original. And that happens all the time too. I believe another Fritz Lang film, isn't it? Um, or no, it's F.W. Murnau. Um, but that, you know, Count Orlock, uh, there's a ton of different um, versions of that. For that. That's yeah, there's a ton of different versions of the score for that. So that's why I, like you conjures it up, right? This movie's so old, like, and they've definitely lost some footage over time. I don't know exactly if this is the original score, if it was re-recorded or what. I mean, I'm seeing multiple ones on IMDb. Max Maximano Cobra is maybe being the original, but then I have multiple re-recordings from like 1984 through 2005. So gotcha. Yeah. That I'm sure answer, with that doesn't answer our question, but uh, well, no, I'm sure with Criterion they try to do their best to like give the original feel of the film. So you know, but like I was saying, um, John Williams definitely took a lot um, from the the original score, at least at least the inspiration, because it definitely had a lot of uh, vibes from that, and I could definitely see him. You know, again, like a lot of you know half the filmmakers that we love are we're probably pretty heavily influenced by this movie so and, and the score just works so well throughout the whole movie yeah no i agree and you know that's the thing is that i said it at the beginning i said it throughout like this has it all you know there's like a love story there's people rising up there's um beautiful art direction you know we've talked about it a little bit but just like the style of this is just insane it's like the german expressionist film um there's wonderful acting and i think for anybody that has not seen this, don't wait, don't wait too long to see this film because it, it does, it's just got so much to offer, you know. Um, I, I don't know much had survived from this film. And one thing that I was always curious about and I had looked it up a long time ago was like the, the robot, right? Like the robot had to, have, <laughs> had to survive. And I, I don't think it did. I don't think that, you know, cause it, you know, it's like when I go to the Academy Museum out here in LA, like there's, they have like Rosebud, right? From Citizen Kane. And like, you get to see like the original, it's like, like, is there a better movie prop, you know? Um, I guess like the Maltese Falcon and different things like that, like the other MacGuffins, you know? But there's, these things from films that you just like hope exist out there somewhere and it, i don't think there is the robot had had survived uh the years unfortunately i mean yeah having the original robot would definitely be up there with the uh, the maltese falcon and maybe the original bruce from jaws if somebody actually has like the original uh yeah entire they, shark from jaws <laughs> i have seen one of the only left well i think it's the last remaining uh models of bruce is actually in the academy museum but that's that's the last one that they had that survived and it's hanging above um it's at the very top of the academy museum it's just hanging from the ceiling it's fucking awesome dude you'd love it 
Talk about a trifecta if you had all three of those, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was thinking about like, there's an alternate universe where, so I mentioned before I saw Dr. Um, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, like at a church with like a full symphony when I was like seven. Yeah. And I feel, and that put me down the path of probably being, you know, uh, the horror fan, the horror hound that I am today. I feel like there was an alternate universe. If I saw this, like with a full symphony, like in a church when I was seven, like sci-fi would be like my complete jam today more than anything else. So, I mean, it still is, but you know, it would, it would definitely be at the top because uh, of how influential this movie is and seeing it probably at a young age with that type of experience. And I mean, being able to see it in a theater now even would be great. So. I know. Yeah. I feel like with a hundred years coming up, right. It should be something that they re-release in theaters and I'm sure they will. Um, there's nothing like seeing an old film like this, especially a silent one, you know, like it, it, yeah. it, it, it deserves your attention. It deserves, uh, we talk about it all the time, putting your phone down and like really trying to focus in, but like, especially a silent film, if you don't, you you miss it all. You know? Talk about smashing the technology in early in this movie. And all I was thinking about was uh, how the phones have come along since then. So totally totally yeah um, I, I love that you um this is like your first watch through um fully i'm glad that we decided to talk about this today because i i've always loved this film it is a big one you know as far as like greatest films of all time and it does have some themes that i think like you know resonate in our lives that we can understand or that we've um experienced in our own you know personal lives hell yeah love it and just found out just scan in the uh, enter the public domain this week yeah so what does that mean I, I i saw that too like does that mean that you can public domain means it's it's you can anybody can use it for any reason whatsoever it's like public art wow. so you so like you can screen you can screen it uh for a showing for people you can clip it for an art project or show it uh, clips on youtube if you want like basically um, you can use it for monetary gain if you want to yeah I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's available. It's not copyrighted by anybody. There's nobody who uh, is going to be like telling you to take it down if you're just utilizing a piece from it. So, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a time thing. I don't know all the rules on it, but it, I mean, it has to do with uh, how long copyrights last and then if they uh, expire it's just available for the public to use. I remember that that was like um, something that happened to It's a Wonderful Life, like when I was a kid um, and they were like, oh yeah, like it's on every channel, this, you know, this Christmas yeah. because nobody owns it. <laughs> right, right, right. But I think eventually somebody does pick it up, right? And then. Um, yeah, so anybody can watch it for free really anywhere now. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I watch, yeah, like we said, we watch it on Criterion. This is another plug for a Criterion channel because it's fucking great, but uh, you can definitely watch it on YouTube uh, for free if you want. So yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, you know, usually uh, Criterion. I don't know if you saw this or not. I didn't really look into it because I didn't have much time to go into the extra features. But usually Criterion does a really good job of having like extra featurettes and things like that. Um, new and old like footage of talking about the film with scholars or the filmmakers themselves. Um, you know, uh, uh, like a, a track of. Um, uh, commentary and things like that so this film especially might have a lot of that and I would um, I've seen a lot of the things that they've put together for different films that I just get a lot from especially Omer's um, Detour which is one of my favorite mm. um, it, it's always been like one of my favorite 
noirs, but it was always like such a shitty copy when you were like a kid. Like you you watch it and it was not very good. They have so many cool featurettes on that film that you can watch about the restoration and you know um, making the film that I just love going back and seeing. So I, I'm not sure if Metropolis has that, but if it does, I'm going to go look and back and and see. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was. I definitely want to check out um, Ridley Scott. He says uh, any uh, commentary or interviews or anything for um, Blade Runner because Blade Runner kind of like is the most um, uh, recent kind of modern, not adaptation, but like it, it definitely tries it's to dystopia. Yeah, it, it just in terms of the aesthetics of like what the city looks like obviously the story isn't really that similar, but like visually showing like a future city, um, Blade Runner would be the most accurate. Uh, Constantly depiction. raining. Yeah. yeah, the accurate depiction of like what we try to do in terms of like being influenced by Metropolis from like uh, at the time, like 70 or 80 years before. So we can have um, rid- rid- oh, I'm sorry. No, no, as I just like, uh, like I said, I mean, the, the, the visual style of uh, Blade Runner is so cool and it's so clearly influenced by this movie. So I'd love to hear more of talk about that. Yeah, no, I, I, and speaking of Ridley Scott, that made me think of what I was going to say earlier that I couldn't think of um, and more so about his brother, right? Uh, Dennis, Dennis Scott? Uh, uh, Tony Scott. Scott. So I'm sorry, Tony Scott. Um, I have been fucking loving Tom Cruise's bullshit lately. <laughs> loving it. Like the jumping out uh, of the yeah. shit, like the, the wing walker shit. And like, yeah. I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick, but of course I want to. I love Top Gun. I haven't seen it yet, but that's not like the first movie that I go to the theater for. However, Tom Cruise is making like the biggest splash for like why I should. Every time he does this thing, he's talking about the audience. And like, he's like, it's all about, it's not about us. It's about the audience, you know? about how you're going to experience it for the fun. And I'm like, dude, I'm kind of loving Tom Cruise lately because like all he wants, and he's doing this insane shit. And all he wants is to like have good marketing material so people will get in their butts in the seats and go to the theater to see a, to yeah. see a movie. Albeit his movie, but still just film in general. I feel like he really cares about film and is like loving marketing this. He did it for Top Gun and now he's doing it for Mission Impossible. I don't know if you've seen any of this, but... I mean, you just open up a whole can of worms, man. Modern Tom Cruise is one of my favorites. He really? is, he's a lunatic and that's what I love about it. Like he, he's an alien who is obsessed with making movies. Like, yeah. I don't know what his personal life is. I don't really want to know because it's clearly nothing but like being obsessed with uh, doing these psychotic stunts uh, for his own movies. But uh, no, I'm completely on board with you there. I mean, I did see, definitely saw Top Gun Maverick. It was very fun to watch it in the theater. It was great. I mean, the Mission Impossible movies, um, I think, are definitely some of the best uh, modern action movies of all time. And it's pretty insane, like, how that franchise has just steadily gotten better. Like, the last one, Mission Impossible Fallout, the one with uh, uh, Henry Cavill, where he's got the beard stash that I mentioned before. Right. Um, That is a fucking great action movie. I love it. And You know, I'm never, like, the one to first see these films, but, of course, like, the the original with, like, Brian De Palma directing it, I was interested in that. But, like, going from that film, you're right, to, like, where it is now... Wow. It's, it's, have you so which ones have you seen other than the original? Not, not none. None of them. Okay. I just know that they're popular as hell, you know. Yeah. So so he, I mean, his director is Christopher McQuarrie. McQuarrie. Um, he wrote what he wrote The Usual Suspects. That's kind of how he's got started. And wow. um, another great film. 
yeah, he that was kind of his beginning, and they kind of started making movies together. With um, he's done uh, two of the last um, Mission Impossible movies, and it's just they they work him and Tom Cruise. They like are just the same type of crazy when it comes to the type of movies that they want to make. So yeah, and, and talk about like you know Usual Suspect is like a crime caper, you know, then like add extra like shit like if it's anything like that and the writing behind that, and then all of a sudden you've got all of this action stuff. I can't imagine that they're yeah. not. Films. yeah um yeah no i'm i'm all for uh, uh seeing the next round of uh, mission impossibles because yeah the, like i said they they just they are transcending kind of like action movies and it largely is because of tom cruise and his obsession with doing his own shit um yeah. you know like he's already broken a couple uh uh ankles like while he filmed uh the last run or the one before i think the last one he broke an ankle while he was doing his long ass run which i love the running montage you can find on youtube where it's just 10 minutes of tom cruise running straight with all with all all of his different movies cut together where it's just him running non-stop for like 10 minutes it's great yeah yeah totally i love that shit it's he's 60 tom cruise is 60 yeah yeah so i think it really is him that puts it over the top because like who else what other action star are we going to have like after Tom Cruise is gone or when he stops making these? I don't know the rock. Like, uh, you, you can keep the rock. I don't want the rock. I know. <laughs> I mean, Tom- for sure. I feel the same way. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I fucking love yeah. Tom Cruise lately. Yeah. Like I always have anybody who says they don't love Tom Cruise is kind of like, they're just pissed off because Tom Cruise can do it all. You know, like yeah. some of his early eighties films, you know, you can see through the acting a little bit and, you know, then when he goes and we get into the color of money and it starts to get a little bit more serious roles and things like that it's like okay but like he is now at a point in his career where i think he's just like what can i do next that's just going to beat whatever i just did last time um and this clip that i saw of him like doing this jump from mission impossible that he's that he's touting the director that you just said that wrote the usual suspects He's like, the only thing that scares me more than this, like, last thing that we just did is, like, what we have planned for, like, the next mission. <laughs> yeah. oh, what the fuck, like, you know? The only thing I'm scared is what Tom's going to make me do next. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, Love I it. like that. I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, big, I'm big into Tom Cruise lately. That's all I want to say. Just And purely for the fact that I think that the guy just really loves films and really wants people to go to see films, which is what we're doing, which is why yeah. we do this podcast. We love fucking film. We want more people to go to the theater and enjoy it because it's, it's pure joy. That's, that's what it is. Oh yeah. Now I, I'm going to need to watch that montage of him playing pool with uh, Warren Zevon from color money. Now that we mentioned it. So I'm going to well, I don't, I don't even know what that is. Uh, when was the last time you saw color of money? A long time. Zevon's in color of money. Uh, no, he's not in it. It's he's oh. in a mod- there's the there's the pool playing montage with uh, Werewolves of London playing over. Oh, okay, the song. I thought yeah. first you were saying Zima. no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> no, no. We would have been that would be our background for our Zoom calls if, right. if Zeman was in Color of Money. So, 100%. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. Um, Love it. I was going to say before we go, I know we have to talk about our song of the week. Um, are we done talking about Metropolis? Or, would you have any other last thoughts? Yeah, no. I mean, I loved watching this. Like I said, uh, this is the uh, part one of our double feature. We're doing M uh, for our next episode, which I'm very excited to watch. Yeah. I know you're a big fan of that one, so yep. I definitely want to uh, dive in and see because it's only a couple of years after this movie, so it'll be, yeah. uh, definitely be see like this is om- like M almost uh, was almost his follow up to uh, Metropolis. So, Peter Laurie. Uh... 
superb. It's your guy. Love it. <laughs> Pretty fucked up subject matter too, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Oh, for um, sure. Okay. So thank you guys for listening about Metropolis and um, you know, it's awesome. This is another great year of remainders. Super happy to have you here with us. Um, I always love to hear back from you some feedback. What do you guys like and what do you love? And we always talk about different things in our lives. And I think that's part of this, you know, getting to know us a little bit. Um, I want to talk briefly about a couple of things that I did other than movies that I uh, enjoyed. A long time ago, I went to, um, this has to do with James Cameron. A long time ago, I went to go see the Titanic exhibit in, in Las Vegas. So I could give a shit about gambling. Uh, and I kind of hate like Las Vegas in general, like probably the worst place on earth that I've been to is Las Vegas. But um, when I was there, I was like, I'm gonna go to the museums instead. You know, my, my cousin was getting married and instead of like going and doing all the crazy shit you would do, I just went to the museums and the Luxor had this amazing Titanic exhibit and um, they opened the same thing in LA and my girlfriend had not seen it. This, the LA experience was a little less cool than it was in Vegas. In Vegas, they had part of the big piece of the Titanic, which they actually got from the ocean floor, which when you see it in person, it is shocking. I don't know um, if you like the Titanic stuff that much, but it, it reminds me just because um, the Ghost of the Abyss was I think that the movie that James Cameron had done um, about like the, the recovery of a lot of the things and the artifacts and like seeing it on the ocean floor and talking about how, you know, um, preservation and all these things, why they matter. Um, spent a lot of time doing that. And I think that was like really like the gap between Avatar and Titanic. Cause I couldn't believe it when you said it last week that Titanic, the film, there was no other James Cameron film until Avatar, except of course the ghost of the narrative, narrative film. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or Hollywood film, we could say, you know. Um, but I, I recommend it just because of like how nice it is to like hear the story about the Titanic. When I was in Southampton with TLB, we played um, in the place where the Titanic took off. And there's a museum there about the Titanic. So if you're overseas and you're listening to this, the Southampton Museum about the Titanic is one of the best museums I've ever been to. I was grateful that I got to go there and see it. It was like right before we played the show, you got to like look out on like the harbor or whatever you want to say, where the Titanic left and left port. And a lot of that exhibit on the Titanic there was about the people, the workers talking about, you know, Metropolis here, the people that like had to go and like find a job. So they went on the, um, all the people of Southampton ended up going and working on the Titanic, which ultimately sealed their fate. Um, and a lot of people died, um, but a lot of people also had to be like in the, you know, shoveling the coal, you know, like a lot of these jobs that were not very uh, thankful jobs. Um, so seeing it here in LA, I enjoyed it. I want to talk about that briefly because James Cameron obviously is such a big um, person in the Titanic atmosphere and you know preservation and and, and, hear, and learning a lot, a lot about what happened back then he's obsessed with it still is so <laughs> yeah and um then well, we went to the stranger things exhibit out here which was like an immersive experience which was kick-ass i know you haven't seen much of it um and that is one other segue that i want to say so um the character in the latest stranger things um the guy that's like the pizza guy and he's driving like the the, the car and it's like the hawaiian pizza place his band is playing with my band on January 14th in San Bernardino. So if anybody's out there listening and you made it this far, thank you. But I also play in a band and we're playing our first show and I'll, from, you know, 
2020 on, we weren't able to really play many shows. We're also in different places. This is our first show back. Um, we got to play a bunch of songs. We're going to show a lot of art. My art's going to be there. Bunch of artists. The guy from Stranger Things band, they're called Dumb Bitches with Internet, which is a great fucking name. Um, <laughs> they're playing. And so if you're in California and you're going to be around San Bernardino, come check it out at Darren Varel. Um, there's a bunch of information on it there or at TLB Kicks Ass. And um, yeah, see the guy from Stranger Things band, see my band uh, with a bunch of great artists and uh, also comedy from Lucy Said Go, which is my girlfriend's comedy troupe will be there. A lot to offer this show. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be real fun. Um, and with that, that's my start of 2023. And this is such a great thing to come and talk about with you. I, I'm grateful for it all the time. So thanks for showing up this year too, Pat. And uh, what do you got going on? What's going on ahead for you in 23? Oh man, well, 23 is looking like, well, first of all, I just wanna say, I'm very excited uh, for your comeback show. So we're definitely gonna put link, uh, link to that show in the notes. So if you're listening, you can just click on that. Well, call um, me Brendan Fraser. What's that? Call me Brendan Fraser. This is my comeback year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> Love it. Uh, no, 2023 is looking like a travel year for me. So I'm going to be definitely uh, taking a little time off and uh, going around the country a little bit as much as I can because. Um, you know, this past year and a half was uh, minimal of that. Uh, and uh, exploring the country is definitely one of my favorite things uh, to do with my time. So that's definitely going to be where my priority is. So. Well, I can't wait to see where we record the, the next uh, episodes. You know, you may, you may have a different surrounding. Yeah. I mean, uh, Bob Dylan's been in every episode so far, uh, if you're watching on YouTube. So I might have to keep that going. I might well put a little pixel on the side uh, for the YouTuber. So... All right, well, how about well, yeah. the segue into, you know, the the song picks of the week? Have you thought about your song pick for uh, the start of 2023? Uh, yeah. Um, did you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'll go first. I think last time you went first, right? Sure. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, I, I just want to talk about um, the song In All Honesty by Tone Deaf George. Now, do you know anything about Tone Deaf George? I do not. Not off the top of my head, no. So he, Mike Rotundo was a lead singer of a band called Tone Deaf George. If you don't know who Mike Rotundo is, he is the bass player of the Plain White Tees. And back in the day, he had a band called Tone Deaf George. Now they're like kind of like a ska punk band. And you never could hear their music anywhere. It was like kind of like on a shitty CDR that you had somewhere or whatever. But this is the band that Tom, the singer of the Plain White Tees, had loved so much when we were in high school that he was like, I got to have this guy in my band. And so Mike Rotundo ended up joining the Plain White Tees when Tone Deaf George broke up. As of a week ago, it was released on Spotify and it's so great. It was so great to hear it again. My brother's been fucking around doing his own podcast with Mike Rotundo. So it kind of spills into that. Eric's doing this podcast um, with Mike Rotundo and they, I think it's called Boombox RV where they're gonna, going to explore and talk to a bunch of people about music, life, kind of like what we do, but it's kind of more centered on musicians from our era um, in our neighborhood. Um, all those kind of things. And so with that, they've kind of been releasing some old music. And my pick for this week, for anybody who doesn't know Tone Deaf George, you're going to love it. It's a it's the first song on their EP, but they only made one EP. And it's called In All Honesty from Tone Deaf George's first record. And it's out there now. 
go enjoy it. And uh, yeah, it's been really great to hear that song again after so many years. Oh yeah, in all honesty, by Tone Deaf George, love to hear it. Um, yeah, I'm excited for uh, for that podcast. I was definitely aware of it, um, so I'd love to hear that. Keep on going. So, yeah, they've recorded a bunch of episodes. They just haven't released anything yet, so it's upcoming. And yeah, he keeps on telling me like the people that he's had on, and I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to hear. So I'm excited about it. He's creating the good buzz for it. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Very cool. Love it. Um, okay, yeah. So my my pick this week uh, is by somebody that we've talked about before, Nick Cave. Um, I finished reading his uh, book, Faith, Love, and Carnage, which I highly recommend. And in it, he gets pretty candid about his future with music, and he's pretty uh, dead set on being done with like rock and roll uh, in, in, in moving into a far more spiritual kind of uh, tone, which is he's definitely had in his last couple albums. And he's I think he's only going to keep on going with that. So any type of like uh, garage rock or uh, post-punk hardcore uh, vibes that he's had throughout, you know, his 40 years pretty much going to be gone from now on, which I'm looking forward to seeing what he does like in the future. But uh, so my pick this week is uh, from Grinderman, which was his garage rock uh, side project uh, from the late 2000s, which was his uh, basically musical release in terms of wanting to get all the aggression that he had out that he was kind of keeping on uh, low for his uh, for the bad season with his um, individual projects. And so they released two albums um, of pretty um, pretty dark uh, garage rock, very fun music though. Um, and I love what they did with it. So my song this week is Heathen Child uh, on Grinderman 2. Um, pretty raucous song. Uh, I love the use of the guitars in this and the lyrics just are so fitting for Nick Cave. Um, and so this is kind of uh, a uh, farewell to this type of uh, masochistic and mm, crazy sound in uh, Nick Cave that we're not going to get anymore. So, um, yeah. If you're if like anything about you, it's that you love Nick Cave. <laughs> yeah, well, that's going to be the end of uh, me talking about it for a little while, but uh, I needed to get a little uh, love for Grinderman, which I don't think we're No, that's cool. And I like that. I like hearing also the book pick as well. What, what's the name of his book that he just released? Because I know that that was something you wanted to read. So you just finished it? Yeah, I finished it a little while ago, Faith, Love and Carnage. Uh, it's really just an interview book, uh, a conversation uh, about... Uh, exactly the title faith love and carnage and throughout his whole life and what it's been leading up to uh till now um in terms of art and loss and uh everything in between and uh he just gets very candid on where he's going like as an artist and so it was very i mean if you're a fan of nick cave definitely recommend the book like i said it's pretty it's a pretty easy read uh with it being an interview format and he gets uh pretty upfront uh with what his uh uh regrets and uh uh, challenges are in life so just one little disclaimer if you if you if you don't like uh overly uh misogynist lyrics stay away from grinder man let's just, let's <laughs> see. i'm just gonna be totally honest with you like it, it, it's satire for sure but if you're not a fan of that uh you can skip to this uh, solo stuff and gotcha. uh maybe saying that will get you to listen to it probably more so yeah right the thing that i'm not supposed to listen to i want right to exactly. to yeah. yeah 
Cool. I, I'm excited about that pick, man. Yeah, I know that you know you you've uh, hit Meet the Grinder Man a long time ago, and uh, definitely some of those, um, like you said, like kind of like more rock and roll for from um, him. Is there only two records from Grinder Man? Is that right? Yeah, they only did uh, two. Uh, like I said, it was a side project that uh, he was getting his uh, his uh, more primal music out at the time, and uh, it was. I mean, it it goes it. I mean, it sounds like his early, like set, uh, late seventies stuff. Um, so that that's definitely what uh, it was like a throwback for him. So, gotcha. Cool, yeah. awesome, awesome pick. I can't wait. So we have a um, playlist going on Spotify that Pat will put a link to in the episode show notes, and you can listen to all of our picks from the last uh, I don't know five or six episodes that we've uh, taped. Um, and yeah, it's a pretty cool and awesome and eclectic, I'd say, uh, list that we've put together so far. Hell yeah. Uh, eclectic, that, that's definitely what we're going for. And it's definitely uh, shaping up to be pretty badass. So pretty yeah. happy the way it's going. Just like our movie picks. I mean, you never know what you're going to get with us, you know? Like here we're talking about a silent film, but then, you know, Razorback may uh, come up, you know? And we're talking about an 80s horror film from Australia. It's like, you never know. Hell yeah. Based on a couple of the series we got coming up for you, uh, it's definitely going to be uh, eclectic would be an understatement. Let's say that. So Totally. And as always, I am really uh, grateful that people are listening. It's, it's growing, man. I'm, I've noticed like a lot more people have been subscribing to our YouTube page. And I know it's a slow burn for us to get out there. Um, you know, we record these when we have time, but we're trying to keep it more consistent. So I appreciate everybody listening and, and watching on YouTube. Um, just more to come. Hey, man, I always love talking with you. So definitely uh, like a day at the beach for me. Yes, sir. All right. Well, hey, happy 2023. Happy New Year. And Pat, always make sure that the heart connects the head and the hands. I'm trying my best, buddy. (laughs) All right. Talk to you next week. See you, bud. Bye-bye.